0: You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Jim went up to heaven, and all of a sudden, all these people from the Old Testament came running up to Jim and said, because he wanted to talk to them, but they run to him and said, tell us what it was like to live with the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Because we we think that they're the heroes, and they look at us and say, "Wow, you've had the Holy Spirit all this time." Just think that's interesting. Gospel's transformative, isn't it? So we're in the third section of of our study here about the gospel, and so we're, this week it's on the gospel is transformative. You know, some this is different than being improved or merely growing. Uh, I love what Phil Stout wrote. He said, "Transformation means." that one day I was this, and then the next moment, a lifetime, I was that. I changed. I became a new creation. I didn't just get saved or rescued, I was actually given a new heart and a new life in Jesus Christ. So Let's just pray for a moment as we begin. and Be reminded of, for those of us that have been given a new heart, just to give thanks. What a stunning gift we've been given but it's always transformative, Lord. And so we ask that you continue the process, you continue the change, and for those who have never touched that transformation moment, that you can be, that this word lands on them today, that they step to the point where they need to be changed. So we thank you, Lord, for all of this. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, if you remember the first section of this sermon, we gave a context of where we were. And what happened when sin entered way back in the Garden of Eden? If you remember, Adam and Eve, they were created to be in relationship with God. They were seen and heard by him as inclusive, welcomed, loved members of family. That they belonged to God. They found the identity and the image and likeness of God within that relationship. They looked into him and he looked into them. And from that basis, they formed their own identity. They, you know, we knew, know who we are as sons and daughters in Christ by what God says we are and what God sees in us. From that place, being in relationship with God and identified through God, they have their purpose on earth. The will of God flows through them, or better, maybe better worded, God casts his vision through them and into the world. But it all collapsed, first by trickery, to lure Eve away and then drawn by mistrust and pride, Adam also was lured away. The fall changed the very nature of humanity. Humans no longer sought God and were outside of relationship with him. The markers of identity were found in each other, other fallen humans, to spiral into an identity far from Adam and Eve. The pleasures of humanity became the purposes of humanity. So nothing resembled the vision of God or the character of God. The evil one now ruled our lives and ruled the planet on which we lived. He was casting his vision through us. Humanity was beyond repair. We were no longer a fixer-upper species anymore. We were in open conflict with God and dead. Humanity needed to be totally transformed. One day I was this, and the next day I was that. And one of the centerpieces of the gospel is invitation into transformation. The gospel forms a circle that welcomes everyone in, whoever so may come, no matter the shade of your skin, excuse me, or any of of our other differences, we're all welcome to move forward to ever open arms of Christ. The power of the gospel is the act of the word of God being spoken and from that voice creation begins. When one experiences the acceptance and love of the, of the God that's pursuing their heart, the God that is extending a personal invitation into a loving, compassionate bond for life, our hearts begin to open to a newness of life. This nature of hospitality is the very nature of Jesus. Did you ever notice that from the very beginning of his ministry, he was just hospitable? Look at John 1. And I picked up verses 35 through 39. It says, the next day John, that's John the Baptist, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When two of the disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and said, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went, and they saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Jesus invites these total strangers to his house. Now think about that. He gives up his privacy to complete strangers. He isn't worried about stalkers or robbers. He doesn't know who these people are. He's just naturally hospitable. One of those men happened to be Andrew, brother of Peter. See, there's hospitality in the Bible. It's in the gospel. Think of the knock on the door. What happens when you knock on the door of Christ? The door swings wide open. You've got a smiling father there wanting to give you a hug. And he turns and goes, Hey Jesus, look who's at the door. Then heaven all comes around you and gives you a hug. So, we can never forget everyone has already been forgiven. But, You know, the atonement for mankind were the historic events culminating with the death on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But Jesus. You know, say that. But Jesus. Do you understand? That can be one of your most powerful prayers you ever utter. You're stuck with something. Something's going wrong. And all you have to do is go, but Jesus. And the memory of the Jesus that comes falls right into your lap and then suddenly everything changes. That's a, two words. I want a great prayer. So like if you're doing something like a plumbing thing and you tighten it too fat, t- tight and then the porcelain cracks, but Jesus, that's what you say instead. <laughs> our response, our saying yes to what Jesus is already saying yes to invites God to enter us and transform us. I want to remind I get to go to phrases or verses here Ephesians 2 pick up verse 4 but because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions it is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not from yourself, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Because the story of the gospel is one of imitation, the gospel is the hospitality of inclusion. See, verse 5 says, we move from life or from death to life. Made alive, or even a better word is recreated for a relationship with God. Verse 6, it says, has this picture of being raised. And that has the meaning that God scoops us up in his arms with Christ and raises us up. But notice where he takes us. He takes us into a community with Christ Jesus in his Realm and domain. Far from, we are no longer citizens of the kingdom of darkness. We become citizens of the new kingdom of God. And where are they? Verse seven. Why are they there? Why are we there? So God can love us for eternity. That's what the coming ages represents. And the word kindness. Boy, that's a, such a special word. It's such a gentle, peaceful way of phrasing love. I think most of us would rather be remembered as in kindness, more than would rather be saying he was good or he was even loved. I remember you kindly. What a, that's a wonderful way of phrasing it. Then Romans five, Rick Bonwin is not here. Therefore, since you've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Our hearts have been transformed, they've been made new, and now we have peace with God. The conflict's over. We have peace with God. We have access to him completely. And what is this grace in which we now stand? Grace has become kind of one of the words is, It has used for everything. It's lost its meaning. Grace is something incredible. Grace is the supernatural of will of God moving in and through us. But since God's will for us is always goodness and favor, it's his his will then is a supernatural favor or goodness moving through us. It's always toward our good. So Ephesians 3.11. Gosh, I love this. According to his eternal purpose, he has accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Again, I'm going to refer to Phil Stout said, look at what happens to us in Christ. He says, it's not by self-help these things happen. Transformation is a divine work in the heart that welcomes us to participate in the very life of God. And our cooperation is what sets that inner transformation in motion. To add to what Phil's saying is, we don't approach God to be near to God. We don't approach him to have an audience with the king. We participate in the heavenly activity of the kingdom of God. So we don't approach him to stand at distance with him. We approach him to engage with him. And that's very, very different. See, for most of my life, I'd hear, you can be in the presence of God. But I felt that that was like a formal, don't go too close, stand about here. You know, don't don't cross that that little rope right there because, you know, that's too close. So he's saying, no, you're not just approaching me, you're engaging with me. The story began when Jesus came. And the story still lives because Jesus still lives. Jesus comes at Christmas and lives an entire life of perfection as an original human being. Now we are to dwell with him in heavenly places to be restored to our identity. Corinthians, 2, 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. See, something enters into the new identity that we cannot overlook. You often hear Christians talk about righteousness, righteousness, righteousness. Most of us don't know what that means. It just means right in our being. But almost all of us are broken in our being. Outside of God, all things are broken. This is the very essence of one's character is brokenness. In Christ, we come into his righteousness and stand before the Father as his intended creation. As we grow in our identity, we can merge the reality of our new birth to our new self-awareness as sons and daughters in Christ. We're sons and daughters of the Most High. We can begin to operate as those created in His image and likeness of God. We begin to carry the family resemblance and the character of our Creator. Ephesians 3 This is is one of those go-to verses. You notice I'm using a lot of people's go-to verses here. I'm using the ones that are real, real popular because sometimes we really don't see the impact. We really have to not just blow through these. It says, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ, and how to know His love that surpasses surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. See, the, the Father and Son didn't come to us alone, the third member of Trinity also came to us, and he came with power. Let's look at verse 16 one more time. Pray, I pray out of the riches of his glory, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. This passage is telling us that when we say yes to Christ, the triune God enters us. Verse 16, the Holy Spirit, verse 17, Christ may dwell, in verse 19, the fullness of God. All of the person and all of the persons of God have made resonance in us. You have been supernaturally supercharged to live our relationship with God in a loving, joyful, a peaceful way of life, even in the face of difficulty. Our identity is secure in our bond with the Holy Spirit in our inner self. With him, we are unshakable in any situation. We will now mature to cast the vision of God into the world. We frequently call this our calling. The calling is God's way of just being very, very personal with you and his role in our life. Our Our calling is our natural outflow of our identity as sons and daughters of God, bonded by the love to Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit. We have been transformed by the good news of the gospel and returned to the original plan of God. We've not merely changed our mind or adopted a new philosophy. We've been made new. The Word of God is alive and present. We must never think of the Word of God as being separate from the person of God. The Word of God and the person of God are always one, and the Word became flesh in Christ. The Word is love. It's truth. The love is transforming. But I can't leave here today without going over one last thing. The process of transformation must be completed in the very order as described. We we first establish our relationship of intimacy and engagement as family. Then we can process that into our identity and find comfort in who we are in that relationship. From there, we get busy in our callings and giftings with the world, casting God's vision. See, I came to Christ, and immediately I thought I had to get really busy. And I wanted to do all I could to be a good Christian. And I was encouraged to do that by the church. Oh, you're a Christian now. Now you can do this, and you can do this, and you can do this. I'm like, I'm just waiting for my coffee to cool off so I can drink it. But they had all these chores for me. You know, but that's the way of the world. You know, I became a car salesman. So what do I have to do? I had to start selling cars. And I got busy selling cars and the more I sold, the stronger I identified as a car salesman. And then, as I did better and better, that gave me a sense of belonging. I've been seen and known and accepted with my peers as a successful carverman. It's, we all do this. You wanna be a nurse? You go to nursing school and you identify as a nursing student and then you graduate, you become a nurse and what do you gotta do? You get busy, you become a nurse. And so then, you know, you start establishing your identity as a very good nurse, a, a, a professional in your field, and then what happens? You develop yourself. To, you're at the top of your profession. You're accepted by all your peers. You fit in with the staff, and they say, "There is the nurse." See, we all do this, but not so with God. See, he wants us to spend a little time getting used to being loved and accepted for just being you. He wants his son and daughter to know he's absolutely delighted in them. God wants you to take your time until you can look into the mirror and know who you are in Christ. He wants you to spend some time getting that place where it's true in your heart and in your head who you are, or vice versa. And it's not just true for others, it's true for you. See, it's really easy to get to the point where we know that you're a daughter of Christ or a son of Christ, but not quite me yet. We've got to get to the point where I know who I am. Then he wants you to slowly begin to live it out in complete obedience and faith. Some of the plans he has for you. Live them out, slowly and surely. See, what happened to me is I jumped into doing all this stuff before I was ready, before I was forming my identity outside of God. I based it on the affirmations or even the rejections of others. The more I praised I got, the harder I worked. And my calling was totally legalistic. The other thing that happened was my work reflected who I guessed God to be, rather than an outgrow of intimacy and knowing. So this became really shallow and earthly. The Holy Spirit was not endorsing it or empowering it. So then the the praise was replaced with criticism, and I was hurt. But I was smart. I blamed the church for being hypocrites. And I left. I I don't think I'm the only one that's seen this happen that's concluded that the church hurt them or caused their hurt. All new Christians are vulnerable to this. And we, we have to accept the responsibility to mentor them wisely, never to discourage them but to always to see them grow as healthy, mature Christians. Sometimes we have to help them pump the brakes a little bit and start small. You know, I knew when I was a brand new Christian, I was, I'm going to build a church of my own. I mean, I was, all, I was all fired up. But you know what? We have to do this in every area of our life over and over again. We need to regain a foothold of relationship as a husband or a wife. You know, God, what's it, what should it feel like with you and my spouse? And how, how's that supposed to play out? You know, how's my identity change? Am I different with this person? Think about this. These are all big questions. How do I mesh my earthly identity with son uh, as part of my identity? And how do you cast your vision into my marriage and then on beyond? And this can happen for any change in your life. Whether it be children, careers, death and loss, personal challenges. You know, when you had a close person die, it, you're, gonna, you're going through this again. You've got to stop and get your relationship first. Your relationship with God might have changed. Right now, you're probably doubting him a little bit. You might be saying, you know, why me? How did this happen? I prayed really, really hard, God. Where were you? And then you've got to reestablish that. Sometimes you have to reestablish your own identity without that person as a part of your identity. Sometimes we refer to ourselves as so-and-so's daughter or son, or so-and-so's husband or wife. So we have to redo our identities. And then your vision gets cast differently. We go through this all the time. So, you see, your transformation is a continual lifestyle that shifts and adjusts to reach your ultimate goal of Christ-likeness. We have layers and layers of transformation on us. But we also have, on top of each other, these, but coming out of the sides, we have layers and layers that spread out to each facet of our life. So it just keeps piling, and this transformation keeps moving because one thing is constant. It all begins with God touching something deep in us and our response to it. It's true for each layer of change. We respond to to let Jesus into that area. The gospel is always transformative. It's a continual place of love, peace, joy, and hope that makes all sorrow, pain, and difficulty an expression of praise and worship. Rick preached last week, and he talked about, and he he said, that's why it's so relevant today. This is part of it. We're always being transformed gospel is always relevant. And next week he's going to talk about and why it has to be the central message. Because once we get off the central message, we get into all kinds of busyness that's really not about Christ. It's about society. And these are good things. We'll do good things in society, but it won't be the central message. And if you're listening to this, and we'd love something to begin to change in you, if you can sense that gentle tug to step into a life change and transform, Please do not leave here today without meeting with one of us and having a little chat. If you're hearing this online, do not hesitate to message in and let one of us get back to you. That tug is Jesus, and he wants to turn that tug into a hug. So before you wonder what you have to change, what you have to give up or have to lose in order to become a follower of Jesus him first just introduce himself to you and allow, allow him to love you. If that's the only place you want to change, that's fine. It's the easiest thing he does. He's, as he would say, it's the easiest part of my job is to just fill you up with love. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast.